Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. There are so many layers of meaning and mystery that come together in this night. This is such a rich night for us as Catholics. There's so many things that Jesus brings together, but two in particular. First is the institution of the priesthood, the priesthood of the new covenant, and the second is the institution of the Eucharist, these two sacraments that are inextricably linked. And in fact, in the general instruction of the Roman Missal, what the church invites priests to preach on tonight, you don't usually have to have, you you don't usually have the church telling you what your homily should be about, but tonight the church says, The priest expounds on the mystery of the priesthood and the Eucharist. So that's what I'm going to do, all right? There is no Eucharist without the priesthood. There is no Eucharist without the priesthood, and there is no church without the Eucharist. We would not exist without the Eucharist, and we would not exist without the priesthood. St. Padre Pio, who I love so much, he said this, it would be easier for the world to exist without the Son then without the Holy Mass, without the Eucharist. And given the gospel that we just heard and the gospel that we hear every year on Holy Thursday, dealing with the foot washing in John's gospel, Jesus arising from supper, it might not seem entirely obvious what Holy Thursday has to do with either the Eucharist or the priesthood. After all, what do we see Jesus doing tonight? We see him arising from supper, disrobing his outer garments, wrapping a towel around his waist, filling a basin with water, stooping at the disciples' feet to wash their feet. This is what we see every year on this Holy Thursday Mass, this gesture of our Lord. Is it not simply communicating the pattern of humble servant love that every Christian is called to? Isn't that what tonight's all about? Isn't that what Jesus is trying to communicate? Serve one another, love one another like I've loved you. Well, yes, obviously, but also no. Because there's so much more. There's so much more happening in this gesture. So what I want to do tonight is I want to unpack, which apparently that's my favorite word Chris Serger told me this year. I say unpack all the time, apparently. But we're going to do it. We're going to unpack some of the biblical background of this scene, Jesus washing the disciples' feet, in order to see what this has to do with the priesthood, number one. And then I want to simply just kind of share from my heart with the family tonight about this incredible gift that Jesus gave the church, that Jesus gave me and Father Joe and the Holy Priesthood. That's what I wanted to do tonight. That's where we're going. Okay, so as I said, this foot washing itself, it was a humble act of service on Jesus's part, and almost everyone perceives, almost everyone can see the basic message of the act, that we also should be willing to do humble, we should humble ourselves in concrete acts of service. Okay, we got it. However, like I said, there's a deeper dimension, a sacramental level, a sacramental meaning that we often miss because we don't look at the scriptures through first century Jewish eyes. We often look at the scriptures through 21st century Christian lenses, which is inadequate, right? Because everything that's being expounded for us was within the context of the Jewish milieu, right? So here's what we would miss, that the Jewish priests, they had to wash their hands and their feet before they entered the sanctuary to offer sacrifice. In the book of Exodus, we hear this, Exodus 30, the Lord said to Moses, 
For ablutions, meaning washings, for ablutions you shall make a bronze basin with a bronze base. Place it between the meeting tent and the altar and put water in it. Aaron and his sons shall use it in washing their hands and their feet. When they are about to enter the tent of meeting, they must wash with water lest they die. Likewise, when they approach the altar in their ministry to offer an oblation to the Lord, they must wash their hands and feet lest they die. Did you wash your hands before we started this? I hope so. I did. I don't want to die. Okay. This shall be a perpetual ordinance for him and his descendants throughout their generations. Wash their hands and their feet before they offer the sacrifice. Okay. The disciples in the upper room with Jesus in this section of John's gospel, they are celebrating the Passover. And the liturgy of the Passover is known as the Haggadah, the Jewish Haggadah. At this point, they had already washed their hands as part of the liturgy, but not yet their feet. And that's not because they hadn't gotten to that part yet, but because washing of feet had no place in the Haggadah. Washing feet had no part in the Jewish Seder liturgy. But this was no ordinary Passover. This was the Passover of the Messiah. This is where Jesus, the Lord in flesh, was reinterpreting everything that had come before him, reinterpreting the Passover all the way back to Moses and the Exodus and the sacrifice lambs and the blood on the doors. Everything that had come before is being reinterpreted through the lens of his Paschal mystery. He himself being the new lamb, the definitive lamb, the lamb of God that's going to be sacrificed. And what is he doing now in this Passover of the Messiah? He is instituting the new and everlasting covenant and the new covenant priesthood. This is what he's doing. So he arises, he fills the basin, he lowers himself to their lowest point, their feet. Just as an aside, friends, I don't know any priest today who said yes to the priesthood, who chose the priesthood because it was a life of prestige or power. That's not why we got in this business. (laughs) That might have been true in former ages of the church, granted. But all the men I know and all the men I love and respect who are priests are priests because at some point they encountered Jesus who pressed his love into their hearts, into their lives, precisely at the lowest part. To encounter his love at your lowest, that changes everything. It changes the entire trajectory of your life. So Jesus, washing their feet, what he's doing is he's completing a figurative ordination of them. He's saying, I am constituting you as the new priests of the new covenant as we're about to offer the new sacrifice, the Eucharist. He intends them to be the priests of this new covenant who will celebrate the new Passover, the Mass, for God's people. And remember, in the Old Testament, in the world of Jesus' apostles in first century Judaism, Only priests could offer the sacrifice. And then what do we hear Jesus saying to them? These men who are not priests by Levitical standards, Jesus says to them, do this, offer this sacrifice in remembrance of me, in memory of me. In other words, he's saying, you are now the priests. So Jesus comes to Peter, right? And Peter rebukes the Lord like he always does. Lord, you will never wash my feet. God, Peter. And the Lord responds, unless I wash you, you will have no inheritance with me. You ever thought that that's just a clunky phrasing? It sounds odd. What is he getting at? 
The Greek word there for inheritance is the word meris, M-E-R-I-S, meris. It's a word that's full of priestly connotations. If you go back again to the Old Testament, the Levitical priesthood had no inheritance, no part, no meris of the Lord because their sole part, their portion was the Lord himself. Listen to this. It's from the book of Numbers. Are you taking notes? Yeah? You're going to be quizzed at the end of the Mass. Okay. From the book of Numbers. Then the Lord said to Aaron, You still, you will not have any inheritance in the land of the Israelites, nor hold any portion among them. He says, I will be your portion and your heritage among them. I will be your meris, in other words. So the disciples are to become like these Levitical priests of, of the Old Testament, whose sole portion, whose sole inheritance, whose sole claim in this life is the Lord. Like your entire life is ordered to him, is what he's saying. Friends, this is where I just want to share my heart because earlier this week as I was sitting with these texts, like this is what I just can't get over. That the Lord chose these men and through the long centuries of the church's history, he's continued to choose men for himself. Like men for whom he himself would be their sole possession, not to be his slaves, but to be the ones who were meant to be nearest to his heart. That's what a priest is, to be his friend, to be his intimate companion. The Lord says in John 15, it was not you who chose me, it was I who chose you and appointed you to go bear fruit, fruit that will remain. That verse right there, that was the verse that I chose for my ordination holy card seven years ago. Because then, just, just as now, just as I feel tonight, I still cannot get over the fact that he called me to this life. I can't get over it most days. It's a really hard life. But oh my gosh, it is so absurdly beautiful. You are set apart by the Lord, chosen from among ordinary men, the priesthood of the baptized. You're set apart to, by Jesus to say things and do things that nobody else really gets to say and do. Not because you as a priest are so holy and so worthy and you are so unworthy. No, it has nothing to do with that. It's because for some reason in God's inscrutable purpose and his providence, he chose me for this. He chose Father Joe for this. Like as a priest, you become a minister of fire, ordained to spread fire upon the earth, to fulfill Jesus' desire, oh, that I've come to set the world on fire and how I wish it were already blazing. You come to be a minister of restlessness, to make people feel homesick, to remind people that you are not meant to be anesthetized, you are meant for another world, to make people feel restless, to be a dispenser of a new hunger and a new thirst, to make you starving for the things of heaven. Like you speak words, mere words, and dead things come back to life, and tombs are emptied. Mere human creatures become sons and daughters of the Most High God. All those things that Jesus said when he unrolled that scroll in the synagogue of, of Nazareth, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the poor, to bring recovery of sight to the blind, to release to prisoners. 
Like, you do those things. That's the job description of a priest. You yourself, you are meant to become a living flame, a lighthouse of hope amidst the world's storm and amidst this darkness that just keeps encroaching in. It's an unbelievable life. Like, just the other night, I was visiting someone in the ICU. This person was in really rough shape. He hadn't been to church in a long, long time. He had been away from the sacraments for a long time. And this man, I think he knew he was dying. And I heard his confession. I anointed him. And this elderly man, this man who could have been my grandpa, this man looked up at me, 34-year-old me, and he said, Father, can you please, and he had tears in his eyes, can you please remind me again why I shouldn't be afraid right now of dying? Like he just was saying, tell me again the story of why I shouldn't be afraid of what's coming next. And I got to tell him. There's a moment during the ordination ritual where the newly ordained priest, he kneels before the bishop, and the bishop hands him a paten with unconsecrated hosts, and he hands him a chalice with unconsecrated wine. And he says this, by the way, if you've never been to a priestly ordination, you don't have to be invited Go. Every Catholic at some point in your life, you should go to an ordination. May 20th at the cathedral, this coming May. The bishop says to the newly ordained priest, receive the oblation of the holy people to be offered to God. Understand what you do. Imitate what you celebrate and conform your life to the mystery of the Lord's cross. And friends, I know, despite all the counterexamples that abound. As priests, our deepest identity is supposed to be found in the Lord's cross, conforming our lives to the pattern of his self-giving love, the love that we receive in the Eucharist, that we too receive in the Eucharist, that we more than, more than, first and foremost, more than anybody else, we are meant to be the first emulators of Christ. And so often we fail because we too are sinners. But then when we say those words, this is my body given for you, we should mean that personally. It's meant to be something that's personal. That that bread that I'm holding, that eye that I'm speaking, that is meant to be my flesh also that's given for the life of the world. There's supposed to be a deep affinity between the priest's identity and the Eucharist that he consecrates at the altar. He's supposed to be, like the Eucharist, a life-giving source of hope that he also has been taken by Jesus blessed by Jesus, broken by Jesus, oh, so broken by Jesus, and then given by Jesus. Jesus instituted the priesthood not to create a power dominance hierarchy. He instituted the priesthood because he wanted to have a perpetual reminder for the bride that this whole thing is a reality of spousal love. He created the priesthood He created the priesthood because human spousal love from the beginning in Genesis was intended by God to be the sign, like the sign of marriage between Christ and the church. Marriage from the beginning was meant to be a sign of Christ's relationship to the church. Like for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. And then Paul adds this, this reality is a great mystery. But I speak in reference to Christ and the church. Like the communion, think of it this way, the communion between Adam and Eve in the beginning, between spouses, was meant to be a sign that pointed to what happens here at Mass. 
holy communion between Christ the bridegroom and the church his bride. It happens here in mystery and it will happen unveiled in glory in heaven, the wedding feast of the Lamb. That's where we're headed. Nuptial union with the Lord and the Eucharist is the fullest expression of Jesus' love for you. Everything is given. There is not, there's not a drop of divinity that's held back. It's the gift of the bridegroom to the bride. St. John Paul II called the Eucharist the sacrament of the bridegroom and the bride. Jesus, when he promised his bride, when he promised humanity, behold, I will be with you even until the end of the age. He meant it. He meant it. I will remain with you in the church, in her scriptures, in the sacraments, and in my priests whom I choose and call and form in my love. I will teach them how to love the church, my bride. I will teach them how to hear my voice, how to be brave in sharing my life-giving truth. All of this, it's not meant to be wrote. All of it, neither my part nor your parts. It's not meant to be wrote. It's meant to be romance. This is why on nights like this, we light all the candles. Our hearts are meant to come alive. Priests are not just servants or ministers or reverends. We're not spiritual social workers or counselors. We are sinners who've been called by Jesus to embody the love of the bridegroom as best we can for his bride. To be a perpetual reminder that you as the bride, your deepest and first mission, your identity is one of receptivity, to open, to receive the gift that comes forth from his heart. We're supposed to be spiritual fathers who nourish our children with the truth, even when it's hard, and with the best food, which is the bread that comes from heaven, which is meant to be the center and meaning of our lives. And here's the reality. The truth is this, that he called and he continues to call sinners to the priesthood because, quite frankly, that's all that he has available. That's all that there is to work with. And he entrusts them, he entrusts us to hold the treasure in earthen vessels. We're meant to be monstrances, chalices, tabernacles. We're meant to be like the Palm Sunday donkey. And do you know what a privilege it is to be your priest? Do you know how beautiful this parish is? Do you know how lucky I feel? It is such a gift to serve you. It is such a privilege. Friends, the world in which we live is starving and it's crying out. And there's only one food that corresponds to that hunger and to that cry and it's love. It's his love in flesh that can only be given through the hands of a priest. I want to end with the words of Pope Benedict XVI from his homily from 2009 that opened up the great jubilee year of the year of the priest. It was the 150th anniversary of John Vianney's death. This is what Pope Benedict said. The cure of ours, St. John Vianney, was very humble. Yet as a priest, he was conscious of being an immense gift to his people. He spoke of the priesthood as if incapable of fathoming the grandeur of the gift and the task entrusted to a human creature. 
He said, oh, how great is the priest. If he realized what he is, he would die. God obeys him. He utters a few words and the Lord descends from heaven at his voice to be contained within a small host. Explaining to his parishioners the importance of the sacraments, he would say this, John Vianney, without the sacrament of holy orders, we would not have the Lord. Who put him there in that tabernacle? The priest. Who welcomed your soul at the beginning of your life? The priest. Who feeds your soul and gives it strength for its journey? The priest. Who will prepare it to appear before God, bathing it one last time in the blood of Jesus Christ? The priest. Always the priest. And if this soul should happen to die as a result of sin, who will raise it up? Who will restore its calm and peace? Again, the priest. After God, the priest is everything. Only in heaven will he fully realize what he is. These words, Pope Benedict said, welling up from the priestly heart of the holy pastor might sound excessive, and saying them right now to you tonight, they do. But Pope Benedict says this, yet they reveal the high esteem in which he held the sacrament of the priesthood. He seemed overwhelmed by a boundless sense of responsibility. Were we to fully realize what a priest is on earth, we would die, not of fright, but of love. Without the priest, the passion and death of our Lord would be of no avail. It is the priest who continues the work of redemption on earth. What use would a house be, what, what use would be a house filled with gold were there no one to open its door? The priest holds the key to the treasures of heaven. It is he who opens the door. He is the steward of the good Lord, the administrator of his goods. The priest is not a priest for himself. He is a priest for you. And so, friends, tonight we pray, God, may we be, Father Joe and I, may we be priests after your own heart. And, Lord, may you raise up in your church and from our parish many more sons who are willing to give you their lives so that you can give them what you consider most precious, your bride, for whom you laid down your life this night. Amen.